Matthew 3 and verse number 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair, leather girdle about his loins. His meat was locusts and wild honey, weird, weird dressed dude. And while to him, Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, he was a very polite kind of a person, O generation of vipers, how's that for a welcome? By the way, welcome to all of our guests that are here today. Any guests that we welcome you today? Amen. We welcome you. And anybody on our live feed, we welcome you as well. Thank you for tuning in if you're not able to be here today. He said to them, O generation of vipers, that's how he welcomed the guest, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Now, we have been on a revival series, and, man, we've had a lot of fun with that. I believe God's talked to us, and, and uh, I just got to warn you that it's going to get ugly before it gets pretty. It's going to get bad before it gets good, because if we're going to talk about revival, you cannot escape, you cannot walk by and pass by without dealing with this person, and more particularly the subject that, that John the Baptist brought, which was a very highly confrontational, on-the-face, ugly, on-the-face, not very, in, in some quarters at least, not very well-received. However, it was what preceded a great outbreak of revival and change in a nation. And so we're going to talk about John the Baptist this morning. Jesus, bless the Word of God. It's already blessed. There's no question about that, but please bless us Bless us as we receive it. Open our ears and our hearts, and please help me to communicate this in a way that will help someone here this morning, either in person or online. I pray your anointing. I pray the flow of God and that you would personalize this message to every heart and teach us one of the most powerful principles, if we're going to be a church of revival, that we would understand this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All right, I'm going to hasten very quickly and just jump in with both feet here. I want to show you some pictures here. Um, Okay, next picture. We've got some, some beautiful flowers. I think they're beautiful. I appreciate things of beauty like this. They're cool. Next picture. Those are, that's a big hydrangea bush that start out really small, and it's kind of mammoth, big now. Next picture. Those are uh, echinacea, purple cone flowers, beautiful flowers. Is that all the flower pictures? Ah, okay, there's more of those. Uniquely, if you look at the flowers in the back row, those great big tall white ones and the pink ones and... Uh, I think the bush next to it potentially also. Um, we, we were doing landscaping about, I'd say about three years ago, and the Kessler family had just moved into, it was actually uh, Carrie Kessler's parents' house, and they were huge landscaping people, gardener people, and they had a massive uh, garden out front that was probably 50 or 60 feet long, 15 feet deep, chock full of these they were really overgrown because they hadn't been very well cared for. They'd kind of been let go, but there were these massive plants. So we went over there with our trailer and dug up a lot of them because uh, Jesse told me we're just going to rototill it all under. So we went over there and dug them up and transplanted them. And wow, they're just... The thing about perennial plants nowadays, you go buy perennial plants, they'll cost you. They're really expensive, $15 for a little bucket, and it takes like five, seven years to get something that big. And we were able just to plop it in there, and, and there you go. And so... Uh, just, just uh, in the way of explanation, all of those, that picture flip back, that one flip back, just so you know, you probably didn't know this, that didn't happen by itself. 
You don't just walk out in the wilderness and, and, and see that. Okay, go forward. Let me tell you what happens by itself. Next picture. Next picture. Anybody know what that is? That's a weed. That's, in fact, I think that's a thistle. Those are the ones that they reach out and they grab you. And when they do, it kind of like stings and it swells up and you don't feel it. And then like five minutes later, you're like, oh, that hurts so bad. But here, here's the thing. Look, you don't have to plant those. They, they just show up. They show up. Next picture. That one just, you know, it's, you know, here's what's funny about weeds is they're liars and they're hypocrites. Because sometimes they'll look like, doesn't that kind of look like a flower? But it's not. It's an invasive weed, but it's pretending to be a flower. And it's saying, you know, I'm kind of cute. Just leave me alone and leave me here long enough. And I'll take over your whole beautiful garden. And you don't know this because I'm devious. And I'm going to kill all your pretty plants. That's how it works. So you have to work very, very hard to maintain. And one of the worst things about having a garden is that you have to weed it. And if you don't weed it, it just gets massively overtaken with the things that are not very good. So the beautiful, the beautiful paradise of color doesn't happen or continue on its own untended because there are weeds that just, that they're going to pop up and they're going to take over. All right, next picture. So this was uh, next door. This was the piece of land that, that we purchased a number of years ago and built a house on. When we, uh, Caleb will remember this very well. When we showed up, he was, how old would he have been? He probably would have been about 12 years old. And I brought him onto this piece of property. And this piece of property had been logged about, I'd say, 10 to 15 years before. They pulled all the big mature trees, majority of them out. And in its place, you and I know, if, if you're familiar with the Northland, popple. Popple is kind of a garbage tree. They're fast-growing. And this was overran with popple anywhere from a half inch to about two inch in diameter. And it was, I mean, just, you could hardly walk through them. It was so full of them and it had just almost invasively taken over the land. And so what we had to do, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna harness the wilderness, you've got to go in and you've got to start clearing all that business. And so I remember showing up there with a chainsaw. I think, if I remember right, Caleb was there. He was there with me, a little boy. And it was intimidating because standing in the middle of that, that, Popple almost forest. You 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 were you could not tell north, south, east, and west other than by the sun. It was so disorienting. But you get in there and you get your chainsaw going and you start cutting stuff. You start uh, clearing out the land. Next picture. You start bringing heavy equipment in and you bring the dozers in and they start knocking down, you know, the high places and they start leveling out some places and they start clearing out and out of this wilderness. You begin to harness the land and you begin to create something of beauty, something of value, something. Next picture. And so you begin to, you know, pour forms and you start pouring a foundation. Next picture. And then before you know it, in due time, you have a house and you have a habitable place where a family can be raised and reared and grow. And as time goes on, you level the land all around the house and make sure all the black dirt is nice and level and you seed it and you water it. And before you know it, you got a beautiful lawn that grows up in the middle of this wilderness tract. But here's what I learned, and I'm a city boy that's become a country boy that's never going to be a city boy again in Jesus' name. So city boy turned country boy, and this is what I had to learn. What I had to learn is when you carve out that wilderness, you have kind of 
you create your lawn area and you, and you cut back all of your trees and, and you mow that yard. What I found out after a year or two is that if you didn't continue to mow right up against the wood line, if you didn't mow against the wood line, what would happen? All of a sudden, the grasses would begin to grow and then the trees would start to grow back up and I would call it wilderness creep. The wilderness begins to creep back in on what has been pushed out and what has created kind of what you have for your enjoyment and pleasure and to be able to raise your family. And that wilderness will begin to just work its way in. If you've ever had a chance to show up in an old homestead that maybe there's a 80-acre parcel and there's the old homestead that was there and you go back and 40, 50 years ago the people moved out and the whole old homestead is still there and now it's got great big tall grasses that are right up against the door and now there's a tree that's grown, grown up right through the living room and it's up through the top of the house. And What has happened? What has happened is the wilderness has taken back over that which had been harnessed and that which had been made beautiful. I was in consideration of a scripture that I've thought of for many, many years and I feel like the Lord gave me some insight into it uh, about a week ago and I'm, I'm going to share the scripture with you. A scripture I pondered for many years and it hit me what it, what it meant as I thought about this scripture. Isaiah 14 Isaiah 14, of course, talks about Satan, talks about Lucifer, talks about the devil. Notice, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Let us pause here for a moment and to recognize that what Satan's desire is, is to weaken nations. What are nations? They are people groups that are organized in a harmonious way you got to think with me a little bit here this morning, and I want you to think about your present culture that we're living in right now. What is a nation? A nation is a group of people that are organized around a central purpose. Amen? Satan, what he wants to do is he wants to weaken nations. Look at the United States. The United States, question mark, United, question mark, states. The United States, he wants to weaken the nations. Watch. Uh, verse 16, then they that shall see thee, it speaks of the demise of Satan. They that see Satan shall look narrowly upon thee. They're going to squint their eyes and look at Satan. When Satan is really revealed for all that he really genuinely and truly is, then people are going to look at him and say, you are the one responsible for all of the chaos and hell and tumult and pain and say, you, you, this, this is the one, this little creepy little spirit being it's kind of like uh you know the wizard of oz when you were a kid how many got freaked out by the wizard of oz wizard of oz freaked me out as a kid and all you know they're off to see the wizard and you're just scared out of your mind and all of a sudden you get to the end of the program and they reveal the wizard and they pull back the curtain and here's this frail old guy and he's the wizard and you're like you gotta be kidding me that created all this and in the end people are going to look at satan and be like that that little evil, nasty little spirit created all of this? Notice, they shall consider these saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble, did shake kingdoms? This is the scripture that has intrigued me for years that I feel like I've got some understanding in recently. Notice that made the world as a wilderness, made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities, destroyed the cities. Satan made the world a wilderness, destroyed the cities, and that opened not the house of prisoners. We have three things happen. We have the world becoming a wilderness. We have cities. Cities are organized. Cities have laws and rules that make them work, but they have been destroyed by that evil little spirit. And then people are put into prison houses. 
Sounds like Minneapolis. Made the world a wilderness. What's, what's that talking about? Made the world a wilderness. In other words, when God planted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the beginning of time, he gave them this paradise, this beautiful place. He told them, he said, I'm giving you authority and power to tend it and to keep it. Adam, I want you to, to create creation out of chaos. I want you to build something with longevity and durability and beauty. I want you to harness, if you will, the wild wilderness and push the wilderness back. And in the middle of your wilderness, I want you to create a beautiful place that, that you and the family can, can, can grow up in. And yet the, the devil does exactly the reverse. Get it? He does the reverse. He takes something that has been harnessed and created for beauty. He's taken... He takes something that has now been created that's got harmony and beauty and order to it and he steps into it and he wants to take that which has been made orderly, he wants to make it chaotic again. He wants the wilderness to move back in. He wants the wild things to come back in. He wants, he wants the beasts of the field to take back over. He wants the wild growth to take place and what used to be organized is now chaotic and what used to be beneficial is now destructive and then cities are destroyed and then prisoners are are, are had and the devil notice with me turned the 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 creation into a wild place a wild place untamed reckless wild unrestrained chaotic anarchy i want you to know this antifa stuff and all these riots and cities and everything i river life church america's problem is not racism America's problem is that there is a spirit that is in the world today that we have made progress through the generations and creation has been made. And, and when you look at bur uh, buildings burning in the middle of our inner cities and, and you hear about ideologies that are really anti-life and ideologies that are deconstructive to a genuine human family and and that which is destroying our culture and values that are being promoted that don't unite and harmonize people that but rip people into, into, into shreds and, 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 and make nothing uh, something that used to be a value. The devil takes something that is beautiful and dismantles it and makes it wild uh, all over again. He encroaches into that which has become a beautiful thing. And I am here this morning to remind us that the spiritual state of Israel and God's people, they were a people of the word and a people of the spirit and a people of the glory of God and the temple and the priesthood and the law and organization and beauty and production and all of these things. And yet they were a people that had access to all of this, but they began to back up from it. And now they used to be a spiritually productive people, but they have become a wild people, a chaotic wilderness, if you will. And I'm preaching about revival, revival, revival. Because revival, for revival to happen, that wildness has got to somehow, Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost, it's got to be restrained. If there's going to be a revival, thank God, God's so good to us, he could just say, you know, world, you can all go to hell. 
You can just all be lost for eternity. And all of you, you can be lost forever. But God's so good that he says, listen, the wilderness has taken over. But I've got an answer called revival. That somehow or another, we can take the wild places and, and we can tame them. And, and, and somehow or another, we've got, to, we've got to start all over again. And so my message this morning is that it took a wild man with a wild message to tame a wild people. Took a wild man with a wild message to tame a wild people. God said, we've got to restrain it all over again. We've got to push back the wild. And so what did he do? He brought in the spiritual bulldozers. He brought in the chainsaws. Started cutting things down. And it was painful and it was difficult and it was challenging. And, and God says, uh, I've got to bring in my big equipment and sledgehammers. Revival's coming. Revival's coming. But before the beauty of revival came... It had to be preceded by the wrecking crew. It had to be preceded by the crew that was going to come in and take everything that was low and bring it up high. It had to take everything that had been exalted and all the ugly stuff and chop it down and cut it down. And here out of the wilderness, here out of nowhere, comes a wild man with a wild message. And here he comes, John the Baptist. You have to repent. You have to repent. And everybody loves to hear that message. And John the Baptist comes. If we read everything about John the Baptist and his birth, his birth is miraculous. When he comes into the world, he comes into the world with an angel that shows up to his father. And it's a special birth. It's an anointed birth. And his clothing is different. He's wearing camel's hair. I don't even know if you can buy such a thing nowadays. He's wearing camel's hair. He's got a leather girdle. He, he looks different. His food is different. He's, he's eating locusts and wild honey. He's a rugged man. His home that he lives in, the Bible says, notice, is in the wilderness, the wild places. And he's walking back and forth in the wild places, the places where Sodom and Gomorrah had previously been destroyed, that had been torched to the ground, reminded of the judgment of God and this is where he was reared and this is where he was raised and he's a man alone he's a strange man he's a wild man he's a he's a single man he's by himself in a lonely wilderness and you say what in the world was God doing there because in that wilderness he had a wild man that he was sharpening his spirit and then those lonely times uh, times in the word of God times with the holiness of God and the righteousness of God he's a man that lives for God and lives for the purposes of God and growing within him is this clarity of right and wrong, his connection with the holy God and everything about John the Baptist wasn't pretty, it was ugly, he was counterculture, he wasn't accepted by typically by the people in his world, he was rough and unsophisticated, lacked all pretension, he didn't fit in, he wasn't just a normal guy, he wasn't a kind of guy probably you want over your house for dinner. He was rude. He was rude. 
He didn't have manners. He called people names. You bunch of snakes. You generation of vipers. You know why? He wasn't playing around. He was not interested in pleasing the people. He was interested in pleasing God. That was his main priority. And in pleasing God, he comes out of this rough wilderness with a raging wild message. Why did he bring this raging wild message? He was confrontational. He didn't care about feelings. He was judgmental. We got a lot of people nowadays, they get offended about anything. You wink wrong at them. They're, they're offended. You, you say something, they're offended. They're offended about everything. Listen, if John would have showed up in our generation, he could give a rip about what everybody thought. He wasn't out to please people. He had a message from God, and notice that message was at times confrontational. John judged people. Oh, don't judge me. Well, you know what? You'd be better to be judged now than to be judged at the judgment day and stand before the great judge and be lost and go to hell. It'd be far better to be judged now for the sin in our life and to be called out for the things that are wrong by the law of God and by the holiness of God and by the man of God than to just go sailing through life in sin and just end up in a, a devil's eternal hell forever and ever. But John the Baptist, he was, he was a wild man. A lot about him, authoritative. He, he wasn't asking questions. He was telling people what to do. Do violence to no man. Straighten up your life. Stop doing this. His look was wild. His manner was rough. But beyond even the way that he looked, the characteristic about him that shined, the Bible says, was his voice. It was the voice. It was the voice. Matthew 3 and 3 says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The voice. Because the crooked was going to be made straight and the low places were going to be brought up and the high places were going to come down. And for that to happen, it was going to take a rigorous man with a rigorous, powerful ministry to confront the people. And so God sent John. He was a wild man. He was a lion. But it's almost like John was like a UFC fighter because he punched him. And he punched him with the word. And you know why he punched him with the word? He gave him an uppercut and he... Punched him in the belly, and he punched him again. You're like, man, I'm in church. I didn't realize that church could be violent. John, you know why? Because John was punching. John was sent as a voice in the wilderness, getting the people ready. You know why? Because they had a lot of wildness in them. The wildness was in them, and John's bringing the conviction of the word, and he's bringing the power of the word, and he's punching them. And you know what he's doing? He's softening them up. He's uppercut, jab, punching them body blow and, and challenging their will and challenging their self-will and challenging their rebellion until finally the people said, okay, uncle, I give up. What do you want, God? What do you want, God? Because when John comes, the revival that he brings is scary on its face. But listen up, folks. There will never be a revival without John the Baptist. There will never be a move of God without, first of all, there being a John the Baptist. A lot of people are scared of that in our world today, but I'm telling you, this is exactly what our world needs right now. Our world needs the blessed, amen, the blessed message of confrontation that has the power to change lives. Matter of fact, let me say it like this. The value of change is so great that God will use extreme measures to get the message to us. 
The value of change is so powerful that sometimes he'll bring a rough message to us. And he will use extreme measures to get the message to us. There are people that are in this building here this morning that are serving God. And what brought you to God was a very challenging time in your life. And you're like, oh my goodness, you don't know the kind of hell in life I had to go through. You don't know the divorce that was ripping my guts out. And you don't know what I was going through. I was seeing a counselor and I was messed up. Because sometimes God cares so much about our lives that he will allow the difficult, most extreme measures to get the message to our lives something. Something has to change. Something has to change. And the change is so beautiful that when it comes and when it's accepted, it will be beautiful on the other side of what appears to be a very ugly thing. I can remember coming to the Lord and, man, my family, they're, they're coming to church and God's dealing with my family. My mom and dad are in the middle of a divorce and they're, I mean, they're, our family is blowing six weeks to Sunday and they start coming to church and mom and dad and sister start coming to church and I start coming to church and then I stopped coming to church because I said I ain't, I ain't going to church anymore because I know and the whole time this was happening I knew there were things in my life that had to change and yet in my mind and in my heart I'm like I don't, I don't, I don't think I can change I can't do what these people are doing I can't I, I, man, I like smoking dope. I like getting drunk. I, yeah, I, I can't stop swearing. I've been swearing since I was three years old. I can't stop swearing. How can I stop doing this? I can't stop doing these things. And the whole time, conviction is dealing with me. And it kept me away. I'm like, I, I, I can't live like that. Until there was a day when God broke into my world and let me know that the confrontation I was feeling was urging me to a place of transformation in my life. And until I got the breakthrough, and God let me suffer for a while, just like he let some of you suffer for a while. Some of you may be suffering right now. And you're suffering, you're like, I'm struggling, I don't know. And you're like, man, this is an ugly time, and I feel so terrible, and I feel so bad. Good! I feel so bad, and I'm struggling, and my conscience is awake, and I'm sinning, and I'm doing wrong. You ought to thank God that you still feel guilty when you do wrong. The worst thing that could ever happen is for your conscience to become cauterized, and all of a sudden, the preaching doesn't touch you anymore, and the conviction doesn't touch you anymore, and your conscience isn't awake anymore, because one of the greatest gifts that you have is the gift of guilt. When you're doing wrong and you're confronted in your conscience and in your spirit and there's an uppercut and there's a jab and there's a body blow and you're like, oh. And you say, I ain't listening to that anymore. I ain't going to that church. I ain't going to do that. I, and you can do that all you want. But if there's going to be a revival, it's always going to be preceded by a John the Baptist. A voice of confrontation. The voice of the Spirit. And the voice of the Word speaking to us that you can and must change. But here's the thing. When that voice shows up, here's the thing, and this is what I'm here to preach about. Can you bring me that table and, and, and that, that box there? Because when it comes, when it comes into our life, it does not look pretty. <laughs> it is ugly as all get out. John the Baptist, sorry, is not a pretty guy. <laughs> Come on, man. You're in character, John. <laughs> I got to be really careful right now. I know. 
He's not wearing pink underwear. John the Baptist is a man's man. He's rugged. He's, he's tough. He's strong. And he comes in such a confrontational way. And, and he's not backing up. He's not backing up. He's not apologizing. He's not afraid. He's confronting with the word. And he's in people's faces. And he's not worried about it because he doesn't care what anybody thinks. He cares what God thinks. And when he comes, though, he comes and people are like, ooh, freaky. What a freaky dude. What a scary guy. Man, that dude is ugly. That dude's scary. But what you have to know is the scary guy is bringing something powerful and life-changing. And it's rugged, but it's beautiful. Our message this morning is the rugged but beautiful gift of repentance. Now you say gift of repentance. How is repentance a gift? Repentance a gift? John the Baptist a gift? That guy's bugging me. That guy's getting under my skin. Oh, man, I feel guilty. What in the world? That guy's getting on my nerves. John the Baptist, why don't you get out of my face? But see, John the Baptist is bringing a beautiful gift. It's the gift of repentance. It's a gift. And beautiful things are often preceded by what appears to be ugly. Children are beautiful, amen? Don't we love our children? You don't, okay. Maybe I gotta, okay. We love our children, right? We love our kids. They're be, I mean, they're just little, they got little fat fingers, they fat hands, fat arms, and fat legs. And they're just cute. They're just so cute. They're so sweet. They're just little bundles of joy. They're so wonderful. But we don't talk about the fact that before the bundle comes, there's my nine months of this. Oh, my back hurts. Honey, <laughs> yeah, I found somebody. And you're like, you know, it's the cute little baby bump. And then it's the cute little bowling ball. And then it's the cute medicine ball. And you feel fat. And you feel, oh, oh this hurts. And honey, can you make me a peanut butter and pickle sandwich? I'm really hungry. People talk about loving to be pregnant. My wife used to say, I hate being pregnant. These people that talk about loving being pregnant, she, and then, let me tell you what happens. And then what happens is this crazy thing. Now, guys, if you've never been there, you think you're really tough, you go into that delivery room. They have this thing called having a baby. It's called having a baby. You've never had a baby. I should stop right here. I've said it for years. If I had to have children, we would go to Tupelo Children's Mansion and we would adopt. I don't care what it costs. I'm not going to do that. I've been in that room. I've been in that room. Oh, God, we're tough. We're big, tough men. We're, we're sissies. Women are the toughest people on the planet because, listen, I've been in the delivery room three times. And I'm t after the, I think it was the first time. First off, after the first time, I called my mother up. After that birth, and I said, Mom, thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you, Mom. You did that for me. You're awesome. You're my new hero. I mean, it's like, it's like nuclear war. Good God, man. Blood's everywhere. and ugh. That's a birth. That's a birth. That's ugly, man. Blood's everywhere, and it's... Ah! People screaming. Normally, demure people are screaming, and... We get to be the coach. The guy gets to be the coach, which means you're useless. That's what it means. 
Okay, breathe, honey. Shut up! Get away from me! Right? I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's terrible. They, they actually make those things that you can wear them so guys can know what it's like. You don't have to convince. I don't need to wear the belt, man. I don't ever want to be pregnant. All this weirdness in our world, men trying to be women. Yeah, you just, you just have it. I don't, I don't need it. What are you saying? I'm saying, beautiful baby, beautiful. Oh, we love our children. We love our baby. But you can't have the baby without the childbirth. You can't have this, the beauty of the child, without that, which is the terror of childbirth. Children are a beautiful thing, but the process that gets you there is an ugly thing. It's not a comfortable thing. Thank God for the sacrifices of our mothers that bring birth and bring children into the world. But you can't have the beauty of the child without the challenge of the childbirth. What I'm saying is we can't ever forget that we can't have the goodness of a great life with God without first of all going through the womb of repentance that seems so challenging and so difficult. So people are like, man, I want a marriage. I want to get married. I want to get married. I want to have, I want to have babies. I want to have my knight in shining armor. I want that beautiful, wonderful, godly girl. And yet they're shacking up. You, you can't have a good marriage if you're shacking up. You, you can't, if you want this, then you can't have that. If you want the will of God in your life, then you got to go through, oh, man, that's, man, man, John the Baptist, you ugly. You ugly, man. You, you, you can't have happiness. You know, here's the thing, man. Ever, and he, I'm so sick of slick Christianity. Slick, well-marketed Christianity. Oh, you just, just love Jesus, love Jesus. Jesus will give you everything you want. He'll give everything you want. He'll, just, he'll give you a new this. He'll give you a new that. He'll give you lots of money. And just blessing, 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 blessing. And it's, they're a bunch of charlatans. They're a bunch of liars and cheats and scams. That's what they are. Because, listen, you can't, you can't just add God to your life. Well, you know, I just, uh, I'm adding God to my life. See, I just get, did God a favor. I go to church once a week. Oh, yeah, I had God. Listen, God doesn't want to be a part of your life. God wants to be your whole life. Can't add God to your life. You, if, you, if you get God the pathway, I, oh, I want a blessed life. I want, man, I want, I want a good life. I want joy. I want my life to work out. I want eternity. I want heaven. I want all the good things of life. Well, you can't have this without having that. That ugly guy named John the Baptist. He's actually a gift. He's a gift. So the most beautiful thing we could ever get is a changed life, a better life. But a changed life and a better life is going to come disguised as confrontation. Oh, God, help us today. Jesus, please help me to, to, to preach this word of God today. Because a changed life, when it shows up, it's going to show up as embarrassment. We've had people that have visited this church. They've came to this church, and literally they've looked over to the person that, that brought them to church and said, how come you told that preacher about what? Listen, you're not that important. I'm offended. I bet you that preacher just, he just sat up in his office all, all week this week just thinking about me and trying to figure out what to say to just tick me off really. You're not that important. Let me tell you this, though. There's a God. There is a God. There is a God that knows right where you are. And sometimes it's like this arrow just... 
in that area. And you're like, and, and, and you're like everybody's looking at me right now. Everybody, whoa, I feel, I, feel, I feel embarrassed right now. I've been called. Whoa, and, and everybody in the church knows. Everybody in the church doesn't know. Let me tell you what that is. It's called conviction. It's conviction. It's not the devil. It's not the preacher. It's God. And God loves enough that he'll send John the Baptist. And it's ugly. And it's confrontational. And it's embarrassing. And all of a sudden the blush comes out. And you're like, oh, everybody sees. Oh. Shows up as guilt. Oh, I feel so bad. I'm sick with myself. Why am I doing this? I feel so bad. I feel like a loser. Good! You know why? It's a gift. I feel humiliation right now. I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, I shouldn't. You know what that is? That's John the Baptist. We're never going to have a revival if there's a lack of conviction. Never going to have a revival with a lack of conviction. And conviction comes with something that appears to be very, very ugly. The changes that God wants to work in your life and my life may at first appear to be very difficult and unattractive. But listen up, church. It's worth it. How many know you're on the other side of it? Thank God you're on the other side. And you can say it's worth it. It's worth it. It was ugly in the beginning, but oh, thank God what it's done in my life right now. This wild child, this crazy-eyed, weirdly dressed, rough, rude, yelling preacher named John appears to be the ugliest thing the people had seen in years. But oh, he was bringing something beautiful. He was bringing a gift. The gift of Repentance. I know it does not. The reason I dress it up like this is because it does not look this way in the beginning. It comes dressed up as that. It comes dressed up as a loud, confrontational voice. It's pointed. It's rude. It feels arrogant. Who does he think he is to be talking to me like that? But it's a gift. It is a gift. This gift can do so much for your life. This gift will bring you to heaven. Put your hands together under the Lord. Thank God for it. Oh, Jesus, this gift, let me tell you what this gift of repentance will bring. This gift of repentance will bring peace. Oh, it's confrontation in the beginning. But when we bend and we bow and we give it all to God, we oh, so okay, God, uncle, I give up. I'm not fighting anymore. Listen, your arms are not long enough to box with God. Come on, your right fist isn't powerful enough to box with God. And when we finally say, okay, uncle, I give in, God, and I repent. Uh, all of a sudden, I have peace like I've never known before. And all of a sudden, joy comes into my life. And now I've got happiness because there's a realignment in my life. Uh, and all of a sudden, my family starts to get healthy. And all of a sudden, my marriage that was busted up in and, 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 and 60 different pieces, all of a sudden, I repented. Uh, and John came into my life. Thank you, John, for the gift of repentance uh, because now I can change. And the most beautiful gift in the world is the capacity for a human being to be able to change in the presence of a powerful and a mighty God. And it feels weird, and we're like, I've never been here before, and it feels strange, and it feels painful. Oh, God, that hurt. And you have to remember that it is a gift. It is a gift. Because the most beautiful thing you could ever imagine as a gift is the gift of change. The gift of change. I want everybody under the sound of my voice to be reminded this morning that you can change. 
I wish the whole world could hear this. I really do, because I'm not just preaching to this congregation. There may be people online. I wish the whole world could, could hear this message, because many people are boxed in, and they don't live for God. Listen, they don't live for God. Many people don't live for God. You know why they don't live for God? Because they don't believe they can change. They say, not me. God, God could never. You don't, you don't know me. You don't know how wild and unrestrained my will is. You, you don't know. My whole life I've struggled with things, and I've never been able to get them under control. And I've tried, and I've tried programs. I've been in uh, jail. I've, I've tried, but, you know, my wild, out-of-control temper always gets the best of me, or my lust always gets the best of me. And I'm doing so good, and then before I know it, I'm flat on my face again, and it feels like there's no way out. I want to preach to somebody that you can change. You can change. Change is possible with God. So many don't live for God because they don't feel like they can change. And I want everybody to know you can change. John the Baptist was sent to let the people know that they could change. It's the greatest gift that they could ever be given that they could change. So the person that's had lust all of their life since they were a kid and they witnessed their first pornography, they found the magazine laying around and it's followed them through their teenage years and now it's on the phone and it's hidden away and the person says, I can't ever, I can't ever quit this. Now they're, they're a married man, a married woman, and they're still caught within the chains of pornography. They say, I, I don't know that I could ever change, but God says, oh yes, you can change. Uh, but it's going to come with, with John the Baptist. Uh, the change is going to come in an ugly way. It's going to be confrontational, but it's making you know that change is possible. Change can happen. Uh, change must happen. Change is the will of God. I said, man, I've got four generations of alcoholics in my family. My daddy was an alcoholic. My granddaddy was an alcoholic. My great-great-granddaddy was an alcoholic. My mother, she, she beat me. I don't, you, you don't even know. It's all I've ever known. But you can change. Come on, my daddy was a drug addict. You can change. Uh, you, you say, well, all my life I've just been able to do what I wanted and I'm rebellious and I'm unsubmitted, but you can change. Uh, come on, cheating and stealing and lying and swearing and fornicating and abusing. You say, I don't know about that. But John the Baptist comes along and says, there's a revival on the way and the revival is coming letting us know the most beautiful gift in the world uh, is that you can change. You can repent. You can repent. 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 The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. The call to repentance is a demand. He's not asking. He's telling everybody, you got to repent. Oh, that our whole world could hear this message. America's in trouble right now. America's in trouble. And unfortunately, most of her pulpits are silent. America's in trouble right now. America, America come on, man. America doesn't. It's not racism isn't our issue. Riots aren't our issue. Let me tell you what our issue is. Unrestrained wild spirits. Wild men and wild women that will be told nothing by no one. That's our problem. When God says, oh, you can change. You can change. And so John comes walking through. The Bible says by the Jordan. He's by the Jordan and he's baptizing. How is he baptizing them? He's baptizing them with the baptism unto repentance. You know, one of my greatest fears in this church, one of my greatest fears is that we baptize too many people in Jesus' name that have not repented. We 
we celebrate, and, and rightly so. The word of God it could not be more clear that people need to be baptized. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. But you know, in, in retrospect, we baptize people. I don't know. I don't know. How do, you, how do you discern this? I don't know. We're still trying to figure it out. But I do know this. we got to try to help people. Because baptism, if, 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 if baptism is not precipitated with repentance, all you did was take a bath and get wet. And as soon as your hair dries, there might, may not be anything that changes. But, oh, if it's a baptism of repentance and there's something inside that says, oh, God, oh, Lord, I, I humble myself before you. You're God and I'm not. I give myself to you, Lord. I humble my will, oh, God. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to live for you, God. But all I know is you're God. You're big. You're awesome. You're powerful. I'm nothing. And, God, your, your confrontation is in my life now, and I bend my will. I say, Uncle, okay, God. And you get baptized. You take somebody with that kind of a spirit, and they get baptized in the name of Jesus. You watch. When they come out of that tank, things are going to change. They're not just going to keep smoking dope. They're not just going to keep sleeping around. Come on, folks. They're not just going to keep on swearing. They're not just going to keep on stealing. They're not just going to keep on abusing. They're not going to continue to be reckless in their lives because when repentance happens, change happens and they'll never be the same again. If we don't meet John, then our, then our baptism, in a sense, could be invalid. Let me very quickly, I want to answer the million dollar question. So how do I change? Preacher, how do I change? So you're talking about John the Baptist. This is a wonderful gift. How, how, does that, how, does that, how does that happen? If you're taking notes here this morning, you're going to want to write this down. If you're taking notes, the beginning to change, number one is this. Humble yourself. We're the praising people. We, we, and it's a beautiful thing. But you know what? Just as much as we're praising people, we ought to also be a praying people that learn this position. Amen, preacher. You're preaching really good. Thank you. You learn this position. Why do I need to learn this position? Because I lower myself before God and I recognize I'm just a... I'm just flesh and bone and blood. I'm temporary. My life is going to pass away in a whisper just like that. But he is God. And I, I don't bow these knees to anyone or anything else, but I bow my knees to God. And Lord, I humble myself before you. I humble myself. The beginning to change is when I humble myself. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get why John the Baptist hit them so hard? Do you get why he did that? He just, pow. And they're just like, and you know what John the Baptist did? Listen, you know what John the Baptist did? He softened them up. He softened them up. You know why? Because they had wild, unrestrained wills like the wilderness. Nobody going to tell me nothing. I'm going to do that. And all of a sudden, out in the wilderness comes a wild man with fire in his eyes. The holiness of God marinated with this voice get right with God get right with God get right with God and their hearts melted and they were softened he did say that after me cometh one mightier than I he's going to baptize with holy ghost and fire but you can't you can't fill someone that is rock solid concrete so John punched him and he punched him with the word and conviction came conviction came God uses strong men with a strong word. Prophets with unbending conviction, inflexible direction. Repent. 
What you don't ever want to do is ignore that. I've seen people come in, man, in, in the very presence of God, and the Word is, and, and God is wanting. This is what's so awesome about revival. God, give us revival. So awesome to see people's lives change. And you see some people in the middle of a revival. They just put their fingers in their ears. They say, no, 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 no. And 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, they are unchanged. Because they don't listen. What I've found in our culture today, others pretend. Others pretend. I'm good. I'm good. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. I love Jesus. And they're fornicating and living a lie rebellious in their heart, won't listen to anybody about it. I'm okay, it's all good. They're just pretenders. Some are defiant. Some say, I ain't doing that. Others justify their rebellion. The great revival in Wales, if you'll study it, his name was Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts, the Welsh revival, it was a revival. They say that Azusa Street was a byproduct of the Welsh revival. It changed that entire country, and it was a revival of repentance. It was read, led by a young man by the name of Evan Roberts, and Evan Roberts would pray a simple prayer, and this is what he would pray. They would pray for hours, and he would pray, Bend us, O God. Bend us, O God. Bend us, O God. And they would cry out to God, and they would repent, and they would pray, and they would repent and humble themselves. Is it any wonder that God showed up and gave that country a great revival? Because I change, I change when I lower myself and I submit my will and I stop fighting. Would you reach out to the Lord with me for just a moment? In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. May the word of God penetrate deep within us, Jesus. Holy Ghost, help us, God. We're just people, Lord. We're people. Oh, we're flesh and bone and blood. We all, God, we're just people. And we just need you, Lord. We humble ourselves, oh God. We need you, Jesus. We can do nothing of ourselves, God. We humble ourselves before you. Help us, God, to always be real in your presence. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you give us seasons and, and times, Lord, spaces, God, that we can just, in quietness in our own prayer and our spirit, God, we can evaluate and assess and you can talk to us. I thank you for that. Bend us, oh God. We humble ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. How do I change? I humble myself, number one. Number two, I get direction. In a position of humility, I get direction, right? How do I get direction? The Word of God. Thank God for the Word of God. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God today? Aren't you thankful the Word of God gives us direction? And when I humble myself, all of a sudden the Word of God will open up and it will show me the way that I should go. It will teach me what I should do. The Word of God. The Spirit of God. We're Holy Ghost people. I'm so thankful for the Holy Ghost. Tucker, I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful God's Spirit will deal with us. Tucker's driving down the road a week or two weeks ago, and he's praying in his car. And while he's in his car praying, God begins to speak to him and give him direction in life. You know what that is? That's the Spirit of God. Thank God the Spirit of God will talk to us when we open our heart. The Word of God will give direction to us when we humble ourselves and say, Oh, God. Help me, Lord. You're the boss. You're the leader. You're the potentate. And I, I humble myself. Please give me direction. And the Word of God and the Spirit of God will give us direction in our lives. Thank God for that. Number three, we humble ourselves. We get direction. And number three, we turn. We turn. 
we turn. So if you're driving, here's my example. If you're driving down Airport Road, you're going down Airport Road, you're going down Airport Road, and it's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and you're hungry, and you're like, I got a hankering for Taco John's. I want to stop at Taco John's. If you keep going down Airport Road, Rob, do you know? You probably know the route. What road is it that goes over to Taco John's? That's 7th Avenue? So, okay, you're going down Airport Road, and your GPS says, 7th Avenue, you want to go to Taco John's, 7th Avenue. If I keep going down Airport Road, I'm never going to make it to Taco John's. This is powerful teaching here this morning. I know. This is very powerful. If I keep driving down Airport Road, you know what? I'm going to end up in the country, and I'm going to end up hungry. And I'm going to go, well, how come I, I want Taco John's? Well, if I want Taco John's and I'm on Airport Road, i got to turn on 7th. And i got to make a right, and i got to follow the directions. And if I follow the directions and I make a turn and I keep going down that road, that road is going to lead me to my destination, which is Taco John's. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're going to eat lunch here real soon. But if you're going one way and the destination you don't want to go to requires a turn, repent. That's what repent means. Do you know that? Repent is a call to make a turn. Repent is you're going one way, and that one way isn't working for you anymore. And God says, okay, you're going down Airport Road. you got to make a turn. Thank God for GPS. I don't know about you. I don't like being lost. And if I'm lost, what I realize is if you're lost, you might as well pull over and stop driving. Because if you're lost and you keep driving, you're going to be more lost. I don't want to be more lost. I want to get on the right road. Thank God that God says, guess what? You can make a turn. You can make a turn. You can make a turn. And if you want to end up here, make a turn. Come on. Turn away from premarital sex. Turn away from porn. Turn away from adultery. God doesn't care about your feelings if you're committing adultery. He doesn't care what you think. Because if what you want in life is the will of God and you want a happy marriage and a happy family, then there's some things you got to turn from. If you want to end up married someday and I want a godly spouse and I want someone that's going to sit beside me in church that's going to worship God and love God. If that's what you want, then you can't keep shacking up and sleeping with him or her. If they're not in the church and you're not married, you're never going to be able to have this if you don't get rid of that. Come on, I want, man, I want peace in my life, and I want joy in my life, and I want, I want happiness in my life. But, but, but I, want, I don't want to quit smoking dope. Well, you got to quit smoking dope if you want God's will to be done in your life. Come on. Criticism. Well, you know, it's just how I was raised. I just, you know, I can just see right and wrong real clear, and I've got a critical spirit. But, man, if you want peace and joy in your life and you want harmony in your life, you got to turn from those things, uh, Harmful and addictive substances that just tear apart our life. Come on, smoking and pills and all that junk. Oh, God says, turn. I'm going on one road, and that road's going to lead me to cancer. And that road is taking more money out of my pocket, and it's going to kill me graveyard dead. But thank God I'm going on this road. But thank God I can turn. I can turn. I can make a change. I can turn. I can turn. Then I begin to learn the principles of the Word of God. I learn the principles, and then what happens? The principles of the Word of God, Danny, I start, I stay on that road now. Now I'm learning how to live in victory in my life. Do you get what I'm preaching? Let's tie this all together because the wilderness is always encroaching on our life. 
made the world a wilderness. We got a beautiful thing, a beautiful family. We've carved it out, and all of a sudden we've got a place. But the wilderness is always trying to move back into our lives. The wildness, come on, folks. Anybody beside me ever struggle with your flesh? I do. There are times my flesh starts rising up. You know what that is? That's the wildness. That's the wilderness. But the good news is I can go, no, I don't want that in my life. I cut that out. No, I'm going to pluck that out. No, I'm not going to have that in my life. And I'm going to turn back to God. You say, Pastor, how often do I do this? Every single day. Every single day I'm turning to God. I'm turning to God. I'm turning away because I'm staying. I'm I'm making that turn. I'm humbling myself, getting direction, making the turn. And then my final point, and I'll quit with this, number four. When you made the turn, you're on the right path. Number four, whatever you do, once you're on the right road, once you're on the right road, don't ever turn back. Because it will never give you peace and security and sanctuary, and the devil over-promises and under-delivers all the time. Overpromises and let me tell you something about the devil. Let me tell you how he works. The pleasures of sinner for a season. I'm not saying that living, you know, living in the world, and living for flesh isn't fun. I'm not gonna say that. It is, but it doesn't last forever. And everything the devil gives, he gives it to you up front. Go ahead, get stoned. And that first high is great. And that first drunk is great. And that first illicit relationship is great. But then all of a sudden, from there, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. It gets worse. It doesn't get better. It'll, it'll take you places you never thought you would go. And you're like, oh, man, this promised me so much, and here I am, and I'm broken, and I'm hurt. Let me tell you something about Jesus. The Bible says uh, that his pleasures uh, are forevermore. When you serve God, you don't go down the longer you serve God. It's a gentle upward path. It's not a rocket path, but it's a jump, gentle upward path that's going to lead you to better things. We go from glory to glory. We go from faith to faith. Uh, we go to higher places. And eventually, it's going to take us out of this world as we continue to walk with God. But the devil wants to take you down. That's why I'm saying don't ever turn back. Don't ever turn back. The Bible says, 2 Peter 2 and 22, it happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. You ever see that happen before? You ever see a dog get sick? We happen to have puppies right now and it's a scary thing. That, that, that little puppy, he ate something. That little, maybe big dog, maybe ate something. And you can see their sides, they start to quiver. They start going, rrr, 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 rrr. and all of a sudden, and it's all on the ground. And they look at it for a second, and they go, I don't know what happens in their little doggy mind. And they look at it and they go, oh, isn't that so good? Oh, it gives me juicy jaws just thinking about it. The dog that was, that was turned to his own vomit again. What's, what's Peter trying to say? Don't ever go. Once you get delivered, once you get that puke out of your life, don't ever go back to it. Don't ever go back to that pile of puke. Once God gives you victory, don't ever go back to it again. Don't ever go back. Don't ever turn back. Don't ever turn back. You say, preacher, I'm struggling. That's okay. It's better to struggle in the church. It's better to struggle in prayer. It's better to work through. God doesn't, that, that's why John came. He doesn't just kick us out of the kingdom the first time. We Thank God for the mercy of God. Don't ever give up. Don't ever, don't ever go back to where you were. Come on, once you make progress, 
and you've made five feet of progress. Sometimes, I know, I know, sometimes it's five steps forward and three back, but you're still two ahead if you're moving forward. Don't give up on God and don't give up on yourself. Don't ever do that. Whatever you do, don't ever go back. Make up your mind in Jesus' name. I'm never going back. I'm on the right road. And I may not be all that I can be, but I'm not what I used to be. Thank God. Praise God. Hallelujah. And God's going to finish His work in my life. All right, stand together with me. Do you get it? He made the world a wilderness. He carved the, the, the wilderness. The wilderness. The wilderness. What's the wilderness? It's the wild places. Let me tell you, I feel it. I feel it right here, right now. Some of you are, man, uh, you know what's happening in your life right now? God's so good to you that he's trying to work out the wild places of your life. He's trying to pull those. And, he, and, and when it comes, it really feels ugly. But it's not. It's the most beautiful thing that you can ever do is to repent before your God. I've got one question I want to ask you, and then we're going to have an altar service, and I want you to, I want you to take this question to God. Can we pray right now first before I ask you this question? Jesus, in your name right now, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for what you're doing, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Our desire is to please you, oh God. We live in such a mixed up, messed up world that encourages the wildness, that just says, let yourself go and do what you want to do. And here we come to the house of God, and the house of God promises better things. And yet on the face, they appear to be very ugly, very difficult, very challenging. But God, thank you, Lord, that good things always follow this. I pray it in Jesus' name. Talk to us, Lord. I pray for every person that's here. I pray for anyone that might be listening, and I pray for our culture, our culture that is getting wilder, anarchy, foolishness. Oh God, I pray for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Here's the question that I want you to take to the Lord this week. You can start this morning if you would like to. The question that I want to ask you this morning is what wildness is God working on taking out of your life right now? What wildness? If, if the Lord were to speak to you this morning, you know, maybe, maybe it's not a massive thing, but in all of our lives, there's normally something God's working on us about. And if He is, what is the wildness that God is working on taking out of your life right now? What is the wildness that the gift has come into your life? And in answer to that question, what steps are you going to take this week to allow God to work maybe a little bit of that wildness out of your life and mine? I'm going to open these altars as a praise team begins to sing and worship. And what do you say? We do step number one and we humble ourselves before the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Touch us today.